Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherwood. Happy hump day, everyone. Welcome into the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert here with you on a Wednesday. Hope you all are doing well. Wednesdays are always busy. Uh, for yours truly, got JB and Goldwater coming up later today. Coordinator presser during that time. I'll have to review all that good stuff here as South Carolina uh, continues to work toward a game this weekend against Kentucky, the Wildcats. Uh, coming into williams Bryce is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll tell you that the ESPN uh, predictor thingy, the FPI, that I don't really pay that much attention to, uh, they think South Carolina has a 54% chance of winning the football game. So some differences of opinion out there. I I think the Gamecocks need to clean up some things, obviously, uh, to have a shot to win Saturday. I'm going to get into those uh, here in a second. Thanks to Heritage Digital for sponsoring the news and notes portion of our podcast. We'll have prediction coming up uh, tomorrow or Friday. Can't decide whether it's going to be prediction Thursday or prediction Friday uh, this week. No podcast uh, to wrap the week for the weekend because I'm getting on a plane going to Columbia uh, for the football game. So uh, can't wait to be back at williams Bryce Stadium uh, this weekend. So looking forward to that one and catching up with some old friends and all that good stuff. But I'll be back. Uh, probably Monday-ish, Tuesday-ish to uh, review the game, and we'll be back at it uh, podcasting as the Gamecocks play Troy the following weekend. That game, by the way, 3.30 p.m. kickoff SEC Network. So the Gamecocks is, you know, outside of the the nooner at East Carolina, the Gamecocks have had some some pretty good kickoff times uh, this year. 3.30 is a pretty good time, uh, you know, considering it's Troy uh, to come in and uh, – you know, have a game at williams Bryce. So hopefully there's a big crowd there, win or lose, uh, Gamecocks, uh, whether or not they win or lose Saturday night <clears throat> against the Kentucky Wildcats. You know, this Kentucky team, um, I understand that uh, a lot of people 
I like them. I understand why looking at them. They've got some good veteran players on their team. Uh, they've had a lot of success against South Carolina lately. Uh, the last eight years under Mark Stoops, the Wildcats are six and two against the Gamecocks. And, you know, he's beaten everybody. He beat uh, uh, Spurrier, you know, he beat uh, I mean, Spurrier twice. Uh, then he beat Muschamp uh, all except one time, and they beat Mike Bobo at the end of last year. So uh, this game has been a thorn in the side of South Carolina fans because, you know, the Gamecocks previously had won 13 of 14 uh, in this series. They lead it overall 18, 13, and 1. Uh, but that 6-2 and two mark that Stoops has, I think, has a lot of people living in fear of that guy <laughs> and that program. Uh, around South Carolina. Uh, they went out and got rid of Eddie Grand uh, and abandoned what they were doing on offense to open it up a little more. Uh, Liam Cohen came in from the Los Angeles Rams uh, to call plays, kind of in the style of Sean McVay. They're very, uh, very improved vertically down the field. Now, I guess the Gamecocks last year, and again, throw that game out especially on defense because, you know, the guys that are going to be playing Saturday for South Carolina defensively are completely different than the group that lined up uh, in the last game of the year at Kentucky last year. It's just a different team. It's a different situation. Uh, That was a third game of an interim head coach situation where, you know, a lot of players had checked out. A lot of players were on COVID protocol. Then they were down to like 50 guys. Uh, there was really no chance at South Carolina stopping anybody that weekend. I don't know that he stopped Vanderbilt, to be honest. And Kentucky had a lot of big plays uh, in that football game. Um, so did the Gamecocks and Kevin Harris. Uh, I think that was the storyline there. He rushed for 210 yards. Uh, but it was still a 41-18 uh, freaking bad loss. So uh, that's uh, that's what happened last year. Uh, Gamecocks won two years ago. Kentucky had some pretty serious quarterback issues. Gamecocks won twenty four to seven over the Wildcats, snapping a losing streak to them in Columbia. That was one of four wins that year. Amazingly, two were over Kentucky and Georgia. So that, that was just a crazy year that year, uh, where the bottom started to fall out under Will Muschamp. Kentucky is 3-0. They survived Chattanooga last week. Um, I I tend to believe that uh, the truth about that game and Kentucky's performance so far this season, excuse me, is somewhere in between. Um, I don't know that the Chattanooga game, you can sit there and say, oh, they're not as good. They kind of slept walk through it. Uh, But Chattanooga was able to line up and do some things physically against them that I don't think you can ignore. Uh, you know, you go back to the Missouri game. Uh, that was a, a close one. Uh, fourth quarter ball game. Kentucky was able to run the ball really, really well in that one. Uh, and they won. They won that football game. So, uh, and then the opener, you know, you're playing Terry Bowden and Rich Rodriguez from um, the, uh, you know, from the um, uh, Louisiana Monroe program. Terry Bowden took over there. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't good. Uh, Monroe did some good things early. I watched most of that ball game, but it wasn't a uh, 
I don't know, wasn't uh, wasn't that uh, competitive. Let's just say that and you had to be impressed a little bit by what um, you know by what Kentucky was able to do vertically uh, down the field. Uh, Missouri, you know, you, you kind of look at that game. Connor Basilak, really good game, throwing the ball, two hundred ninety four yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Kentucky was able to bottle up Missouri's run game, which has been okay this year. They gave up, you know, and Missouri's defense has not been all that great this season either. Okay. So, so let's just say that off the top. I mean, they've struggled to stop a lot of teams on their schedule. Um, Kentucky run right off 519 yards of total offense compared to 398, almost 400 for the Tigers. Uh, they just scratched out 104 yards rushing and threw for 300. Uh, in that football game, Missouri did. Chris Rodriguez went off, and I'm going to talk about him in a second. So did Wondell Robinson. Um, two, 27 carries, 206 yards for Chris Rodriguez. The 5'11", 224-pound running back from McDonough, Georgia. Great recruiting find uh, by the Wildcats. And Wondell Robinson, who we're going to talk about later, good game, vertical passing game-wise, five catches, 101 yards. Uh, and Kentucky got up 14-0, and then they never really – it's kind of a back-and-forth game. 35-28 was the final um, in terms of uh, how they played the Missouri Tigers, uh, you know, the second week of the season. in a kind of a critical, um, I guess, uh, critical SEC East game. I mean, those two teams are talking about finishing second or third this year. Uh, Missouri finally came back and uh, tied it up 28-28 early fourth quarter uh Kentucky went right back down the field and scored and then nobody scored for the rest of the ball game so that's uh that's kind of how that one went um you know and 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 I look at that as more probably the Kentucky team you're gonna get uh on Saturday night now this is their first road game nobody knew you know no nobody knows how they're going to react at Williams Bryce Stadium Saturday night, it's a tough place to play. I'm sure they're confident given their recent success against the Gamecocks. I'm sure they'll come in fired up, have players from South Carolina on their roster. They always do. Um, And, you know, South Carolina has to obviously get better as a team uh, and do some things, handle some business on Saturday night if they're going to win. You know, I I, I think Levis, and that's how you say it, I, I called him Levi's. Will Levis, very strong arm, impressive guy, uh, but he'll turn it over if you press if you pressure him. Um, and I saw it against Chattanooga, saw it against uh, Missouri, a little bit against Monroe. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that he's going to go deep on you, and he's going to be able to complete passes and shoot. He may look really good Saturday night, who knows? But uh, if you can get pressure on him, which is not easy with this Kentucky offensive line, but they have you know, giving up some pressures this year, uh, you know, he'll turn it up. And, and South Carolina, you know, so far this year has six interceptions, which is good. Jalen Foster leads the SEC with three. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, that's a pretty good deal considering the lack of interceptions that, you know, and turnovers for South Carolina had in, in previous years. So just about every game, Kentucky's turning it over. Uh, I think that's going to be important key, an important key for South Carolina – uh, on Saturday night. Uh, the Gamecocks also, uh, I think, have to limit the big plays given up by their defense. And if you look at that Georgia game, first uh, three touchdowns, 23-yard run, 
uh, and then touchdown passes of 43 and 38 yards. Uh, Kentucky will absolutely win the game Saturday night, uh, barring something crazy unforeseen, uh, if they're getting those kind of explosive plays off, uh, either passing or running the ball. Uh, speaking of running the ball, uh, big, uh, big deal uh, for the Gamecocks. They have to find a way, talking to a contact within the program, they have to find a way to run it. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, emphasis on the offensive line this week. Uh, I went through all that, you know, as far as they need to either simplify, play somebody else, uh, make sure they got it right. Whatever the solution is, the run blocking has to improve. And, and, you know, you've got good backs. Uh, And here's a very telling statistic. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris combined are averaging just under three yards per carry. Uh, That's not going to get it done. Those two guys are too good uh, to have that kind of production. Uh, this year, uh, you know, Harris 16 for 31 against Georgia. Georgia's going to hold a lot of guys in check this year. Uh, but Kentucky, you know, they gave up a lot of rushing yards uh, against Chattanooga and, uh, you know, not so much against Missouri, kind of held them in check. But, you know, South Carolina's got to get out there and run the football, uh, get that crowd behind them, run the football, be physical. Uh, you know, if they're not going very far running it, you know, I don't know that Luke Doty passing game, which which I think the passing game actually has looked better than expected at times, uh, is going to be able to handle it. Um, they need more explosive plays in the run game. There was there was one against Georgia that was Zaquandre uh, White late. Uh, they've had five in the last two games uh, against FBS competition. Um, one was White against Georgia. The other four were uh, Juju McDowell against East Carolina. He didn't touch the ball against Georgia. So maybe you have to think Juju could uh, end up doing some nice things uh, on Saturday night for them if Lloyd and Harris can't get it going. I I think it's very, very important uh, for the Gamecocks to get Lloyd and Harris uh, in the flow of things. And, and if you look, you know, Harris, obviously, he missed a lot of time. You know, Beamer said something about the back shaking the rust off a little bit. I, 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 I tend to agree on Harris and and maybe Lloyd as well coming off the injury and sitting out all year last year. But you can just tell Marshawn Lloyd's close. He's elusive. He's got quick feet. He's close to breaking one, you know, and and obviously Kevin Harris is a threat to do that. Uh, But Lloyd just hasn't had a lot of room. You know, that's the bottom line uh, with him. But his elusiveness and, and low center of gravity and, you know, things like that, you know, I, I if the Gamecocks can block, he, he and Harris can be huge uh, in this game. Um, you know, 20 total explosive plays uh, this year for the Gamecocks offense that, you know, they need more, obviously. Uh, you know, going back to defense, South Carolina has to find a way to stop Chris Rodriguez, the running back. Uh, and, and that's, you know, and I know everybody out there loves long passes and you see – uh, Levis dropped back and chuck it deep to Wandell Robinson, who I'm going to talk about here in a second. But you want to stop Kentucky, you need to slow Chris Rodriguez. He's the leading rusher in the SEC. He's averaging seven yards per carry. He had 27 carries for 206 yards and three touchdowns at home against Missouri and was the key in that game. Uh, really, they could not stop him. Um, and he's averaging 10.2 yards per carry last two meetings against South Carolina, six for 65 in the loss in Columbia. 
in 2019, and then in 2020, 14 for 139. Uh, Gamecocks had a hard time stopping him, obviously, in Lexington last year. Uh, so shutting down Chris Rodriguez has to be goal number one. You know, South Carolina is good enough to compete on the line of scrimmage with this very good offensive line, uh, and they've got to make sure they get a hand on him and then pressure Levi's when the time comes. Don't let Wandell Robinson – who's averaging 18.72 yards per carry or per catch, uh, or Ali, their other receiver, he's averaging uh, 18.2 yards per catch, get behind the defense either. That, that's going to be paramount for, for South Carolina. Again, 43-yard touchdown pass by JT Daniels, a 38-yard touchdown pass. You know, you, you've got to eliminate that. Uh, if you pressure Levi's, you know, he's thrown four interceptions and been sacked six times this year. Uh, he is completing 65% of his passes. So, you know, a road crowd like that, probably one of the bigger environments in his career, considering he's at Penn State and they didn't have fans last season. You don't know how he's going to react. You know, if, if heck, he may be a, a big, he may look like uh, Peter Tom Willis in the um, 1988 South Carolina Florida State game and torch him. But, you know, you gotta you gotta go out there and hope you can affect him uh, this weekend. And again, don't let Wandell Robinson behind the defense and all that good stuff. But uh, stopping Chris Rodriguez, you know, it's gonna sound like a broken record, folks, until this until it starts happening. South Carolina's got to run the ball and stop the run. Um, I like their chances uh, if it gets into a game where Kentucky has trouble running the ball and can't get Rodriguez going or Kavosky Smoke or whoever else they have it running back, and they're having to have Levi's drop back over and over and throw it. Um, I, I just, you know, I think that's, you know, setting Kentucky up for failure on offense uh, if the Gamecocks defense can do that. Got to get the ball to Josh Van some more. Uh, three catches, 128 yards last week. If you guys listen to the broadcast, they said it was a career high for catches, and it was just a career high for yards. Uh, he's number two in yards per catch in the SEC right now, 28.2 yards per, per, per reception, second only to Jacob Copeland of Florida, who only has seven receptions. Josh has 10. Uh, and, and you hope Jalen Brooks gets going, and you hope they get it to Jaheim Bell, and they hope they throw it to the backs. You know, uh, Tyler Beatty from uh, Missouri had 10 receptions for 88 yards and a touchdown. Uh, in their games. So they're, I saw Chattanooga throw it to their backs uh, quite a bit and get guys kind of out uh, in the open. So, um, you know, maybe that's something that, that can be, can be done. I mean, I, you know, that we haven't really seen a lot of uh, passing to the uh, passing to the backs uh, thus far this season out of South Carolina's offense, but uh you know, they uh, Chattanooga was able to do it. They got it going. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see sort of what happens. So, I, uh, you know, South Carolina obviously can't turn the ball over, have stupid penalties, that type of thing. Uh, they have to play a clean game. But just looking at Kentucky, that's kind of how they they stack up. You know, and I think you know I'll give my more keys to the game and predictions. I'll give some firm keys uh, tomorrow. But Rodriguez is going to be the key. He's, he's gotten Carolina pretty good the last two years in terms of his stats. 
and certainly it was a, a bit unstoppable in last year's uh, football game. You know, Kevin Harris, uh, when you talk about the Gamecocks running game, Kevin Harris did go for 210. South Carolina the last two years, and, and it kind of gone through – in this series, the Gamecocks have sort of gone through a phase where, you know, they, they weren't really able to run the ball uh, against Kentucky. In a lot of instances, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to 2018, the 24 to 10 game where you know Bentley was not that good. Three picks, Gamecocks had some guys, you know, have some bad plays and and, and, and drops were a part of it, and, and things like that. But you know, you go back to that ball game, and uh, South Carolina got held to 128 yards rushing. You know, the next year, 247 in Columbia. That was a big difference. I'll go back even further in the series. Uh, by the way, Kentucky had 195 rushing yards in that 24 to 10 win in Wet Lexington. Um, go back to 2017, which was the, one of the probably at that point one of the tough losses of the Muschamp era. And if you remember that, the reason why I mentioned this game uh, is because kind of like Kentucky and Chattanooga. You know, Kentucky opened the season with a seven-point win over Southern Miss uh, and then an 11-point slobber knocker against Eastern Kentucky. I don't think anybody expected, you know, uh, Kentucky to come in there and beat South Carolina. Carolina was off to a 2-0 and start, but they took control of the football game and, you know, 20 carries for 54 yards uh, while Kentucky ran up 184 led by Benny Snell's 102 yards on 32 carries. Um, And then Johnson, the quarterback, was very selective and converted some things with his legs, seven carries for 74 yards there. The different Kentucky offense that night. But, you know, you you, kind of – you look at it and, you know, started fast, Gamecock started fast, and Kentucky took control uh, of that football game. So, you know, that was sort of a why – as to why this series had gone Kentucky's way, um, you know, because the Gamecocks threw for 304 yards that night. But, you know, not being able to run the football has been a bugaboo against the Wildcats when they've lost. I mean, that, that's just the bottom line. Uh, if you can't run the football against this team historically, you know, they have a good shot at beating you. I mean, and that's uh, that's kind of how they were, I guess, uh, structured for a while. Uh, this year, who knows? I still think they're probably pretty good against the run. Um, and, you know, back back in 2015, they had, you know, Kentucky rushed for 207, Gamecocks 195. Brandon Wilds had a big game that game. But, uh, you know, it, it's usually whoever can run it the best, you know, as far as who wins. South Carolina's one win during the last seven years, 247 rushing yards, both Feaster and – uh, Dowdle went over 100 yards, and then Mondenson had uh, 41 on 11. Uh, just kind of a, uh, I guess that was the game Will Muschamp called the first play of the second half. Um, and, and Carolina won. It was a feel good win and a bad season, but uh, you know, and that was the last time Kentucky's been to Williams Bryce. So I think this team's much better than that team that came to Williams Bryce. They were struggling, had quarterback issues. All that good stuff coming in. Obviously, no quarterback issues this time. But South Carolina's got to be able to run the ball. And uh, 
that's going to be the key for the rest of the football season. Uh, and, and that's going to be the difference between this season being a really good one that surprises a lot of people and uh, one that is kind of like the whole country most of the people expect, that they're just not very good, they're rebuilding under Beamer, you know, whatever. So that's the key. You know, they, they got to get out there and play uh, great defense, keep Kentucky in check, and then run the ball offensively. I, I do think that the passing game uh, has chance a chance. You know, I thought Luke Doty, by the way, uh, inserted into the ball game at Georgia, looked really uh, poised to be in that situation. Uh, the protection was not perfect. Obviously, you have to pass protect as well as run block. Uh, but I think the pass protection at times has held up pretty well to where they can complete some of those downfield passes. You know, it hasn't been perfect, but if you can't run the ball, that doesn't, that's not going to help you. Uh, and, and again, I know everybody you know, loves the long passes and kind of makes that synonymous with great quarterback play. That's probably why some people are, you know, hyping Will Levi's because he throws a beautiful downfield ball, but that's not, you know, that's not the key to every game in college football these days, uh, you know, and so that's that. However, you know, I, I say that, you know, meaning this, you, you know, you can't let Wandell Robinson uh, behind you and you can't give up 43 and 38 yard touchdown passes uh, and, and let Kentucky big play you to death either. This is a test for the South Carolina secondary uh, and pass rush, quite frankly, uh, to see if they can't get the, get the thing done uh, on Saturday night. Um yeah, so ESPN2 kickoff, uh, same crew that called the East Carolina game. I know people didn't really think they were all that good, and I uh, can't say I blame you on that. So hopefully if you're not at the game, you can listen to the radio broadcast, mute the TV, do whatever you want to do uh, with all that good stuff. But uh, it's going to be a uh, heck of an atmosphere, I think. And, you know, I, I understand the apprehension that, some people feel going into the game. It's a team that's basically owned you for eight years. Uh, it's a big environment and you're worried, you know, maybe get let down because that happened a lot in the last few years. Um, but, you know, keep in mind, this is a new era. We don't really know, you know, somebody asked me about Marcus Satterfield on the message board today about his play calling. It seems unimaginative. Um, I don't know whether it is or not. You know, nobody's had any time. So, you know, to, to throw it a lot and running plays are getting blown up. Um, when you're talking about miscommunication on the offensive line, that is play calling, you know, obviously. Uh, or A part of play calling. That, that That's coaching without a doubt. But, you know, without protection and without a run game, I, I don't know as far as Marcus Satterfield's feel for the game. I, I, I don't know. You know, there, there are some concerns. You know, Juju McDowell was in the game the other day. The plays they were dialing up weren't for Juju per Beamer. That's a concern. Well, why was he in the game? Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's unimaginative or not. Uh, I like that they're taking shots down the field and completing some, uh, you know, because that kind of helps. Uh, you would think it would help loosen up the defense for the run game, but but who knows? There, there's not been a whole lot of intermediate passing game. That kind of thing. Hopefully that changes with Luke Doty, though, because I think, you know, Luke's kind of a different kind of guy than Nolan. Um, you know, I thought he he showed 
pretty good pocket awareness. Uh, looked like he knew more of what he was doing. So that's uh, that's kind of the deal there too. You know, um, you know, Luke Doty is not the same quarterback he was last year. Uh, and hopefully he plays well Saturday night. He's going to be a big key to manage the game, complete passes when they're there, get the guys in the right play, all that happy stuff. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, I think that uh, everybody should be excited. I know I'm, I'm excited to be there, you know, excited to go down, excited to see some old friends and uh, watch a little football, you know, grew up going to that stadium. So, it's always nice to return, and I got some people. We got got a person with me that's never been, so that's going to be a, a, a interesting thing for her to experience Williams Price Stadium for the first time at night at home in a big SEC game. So I'll have preview. Uh, I'm sorry, we we'll have keys and prediction uh, coming up tomorrow. Again, no wrap up podcast on Friday. Back Monday, Tuesday, depending on flights. Um, with another podcast, back back with another podcast. So we'll see. Uh, we'll you know talk to you tomorrow with that. Now it's time, obviously, for the I Help Consulting mailbag, which we always love to have. Before I get to that, though, I, I want to talk about PFF for a second. You know this PFF thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you got if you guys are on. I got I don't know Twitter, PFF College. Uh, you know they, they rate player, they grade players every week, and JJ uh, Anikbari actually is the highest graded pass rusher in the country outside of Nick Benito from uh, Oklahoma with a ninety two point seven. So that's good. I, I'm going to say this though about these guys, I don't think they know what the hell they're talking about most of the time. Um, that's not to say that JJ is not, you know, a well-graded pass rusher, but, you know, when you grade film and you're a coach, there's really, you know, only a group of people that are qualified to grade film. Okay. And that's, uh, that's the coaches because they know the assignments and what's supposed to happen on the game. Now, you know, you could take, you know, wins and losses at the line of scrimmage and, and break that down and interpret that, but it's still a matter of interpretation. You know, so I think a lot of programs, when PFS says something good, they, they you know, promote it because, hey, look at this. Uh, and then I say, I think sometimes when, um, <laughs> when they, uh, you know, say something negative, you know, they're critical. Lane Kiffin went off on these guys. You know, so I, I just, um, you know, he he said he he explained it too why it was a, and I think it was something good, to be honest. But uh, that he went off on because he's like, no, they did it wrong. But you know, it, 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 so I want to I want to encourage everybody to take that for what it's worth. It's kind of like the ESPN predictor thing, where it's fun to look at, you, you pay attention to it, but. Don't take it as gospel. And that's the case really with, I think, with any of these independent analytic things, like the Bill Connolly thing on ESPN. Nothing against him as far as his, uh, you know, uh, SP plus or whatever it is that he uses. He obviously has a good system that he's used for a long time, and he writes that out. You know, when he starts to get into his opinions about college football, 
Uh, I basically turn off my screen uh, if it's not based on his data. But, uh, you know, that, that's just fun stuff. Uh, and I think too many times, because we live in an Xbox world, we live in a world where fantasy football is very popular. Um, and I, I don't blame people for playing fantasy football. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, especially things like DraftKings and stuff like that, where you can kind of play live. But, you know, that's fantasy football. <laughs> you know, that does not mean a whole lot. And I think too many times people get caught up in wanting to, you know, know the outcome of games before they go to it. And if that were the case, it'd be like Back to the Future Part 2. Uh, and, and I'd be like a kingpin if I knew what, were, what was going to happen. If anybody, if any of these other people did either. You know, and, and what's sad about that sometimes, guys, is that you'll have a game and a team will play well uh, and clearly be better than the other team, um, both on that day and moving forward. But because you're coming into it with this preconceived notion based on, you know, sometimes somewhat arbitrary information uh, or formulas or, or math, you know, every people call it a huge upset when it's really not, you know, really not. And and I think today people are so focused on being right with recruiting rankings on up that they end up, uh, you know, going into denial a little bit. You know, you, you see what's happening up at Clemson uh, with that offense right now. Uh, I tend to think they're probably going to put it back together, but – you know there are things about that offense that when you headed when you went into the season were question marks. Running back was a question mark. You think they'll be okay? You know, quite frankly, quarterback was a question mark. You know, DJ beat Boston College and Notre Dame last year, but nobody was playing defense, and he had Travis Etienne with him and some other guys. You know, and they've got good receivers and good potential and good talent and all that, but you know there was going to be some adjustment. I don't think we thought, I don't think anybody in their right mind thought, you know, Georgia tech would be knocking on the door and it would be 14 to eight. That game hadn't been that close in a long time, but uh, look, I mean, you know, that's the bottom line. And so now the narrative is what's, you know, uh, people are, they keep Clemson up in the top 10 probably deservedly so, just assuming they're going to win and turn it around. But there's all these articles about, oh, my God, what's wrong with him? Well, yeah, what's wrong with the Ohio State? Ohio State lost one game um, to Oregon. They haven't looked particularly great this year. And, and there's people talking about Ryan Day. Oh, Urban Meyer's gone now. Ryan Day, he's got a lot to prove. We're three games into the season. C.J. Stroud, he's just, he's got to pick it up. You know what? He's a first-time starter. He and DJ both. What did you think? What did you think? Is last year some of these guys in, in, with empty stadiums lit up defenses that weren't really interested in being there or were gutted by COVID protocols? Is that what you? Is that what everybody thought? You know, so, so I don't know. I just uh, it's one of those things that gets me. Speaking of recruiting rankings. Um, and I guess this is relevant because he is ranked number one uh, in the country for the class of 2024. Uh, I don't agree with doing, I mean, you know, nothing against Jaden Davis, uh, in-state quarterback, Catabo Ridge, number one in the country for 24-7 sports. I would never rank 2024s. 
Um, and I, I, you know, is this guy going to end up being the number one player in the country moving forward? Now they're going to hold on to it for dear life. But to me, it sort of feels like a Chris Leak situation. Remember Chris Leak? Now Chris Leak ended up winning a national championship as a quarterback. Uh, so, you know, obviously, I'm not questioning Jaden Davis's talent, but Leak uh, as a freshman was probably the number one player in the country. Now he didn't he didn't end up that way. Um, Dylan Moses, who played linebacker at Alabama, was number one in the country, uh, ranking him this early. Didn't end up that way. You know, Arch Manning, number one in the country. Maybe you know, I think he got a good uh, a good case for a Manning at quarterback. But look, man, I mean, I don't know if Jaden Davis is going to be number one in the country or not. I don't know if he's going to be the number one quarterback in the state of South Carolina. Uh, and I, I did that for a living for years. I, I just don't know how you can, you know, honestly put together. I mean, I would prefer that they do like a watch list and say, all right, these are 100 guys that are legit D1 guys. Um and, and maybe do like a range. This guy could be three to five stars. This guy could be three to four stars. It got to be two to four, something like that. That would be more fair because now, you know, not only is it unfair to Jaden Davis, who still has a lot of work to do, you know, to be a starting quarterback in college and to be successful on the high school level. Uh, it's unfair to everybody that's recruiting him because everybody now, you know, especially the Clemson and South Carolina, because they're in state, even though he's a Georgia transplant, Georgia too, to a certain extent, they're, they're under pressure to go get this kid. Who knows if he's that good? I mean, I, I don't think it's fair to coaches either, but that that's my opinion. Nobody asked me. Uh, they started on this early rankings kick, and I said, don't do more than two classes at a time and do watch lists because you just – in football, you're going to run into guys too – that you have ranked four and five stars that aren't, and you're going to be chicken to drop them because they may be committed to a big fan base that's going to give you hell for dropping a guy. You may have just screwed up and overranked the guy, and now you got to drop him. And is that, is that fair to the kid? No. I just think it's completely unfair. But my whole point on that rant is Jaden Davis is going to be on campus in Columbia this weekend. He's a player South Carolina's offered. He's a player South Carolina wants. Obviously, uh, is he number one? That's my only question. Uh, is he even a five-star? I don't know. Uh, but obviously, significant recruit. Uh, and he announced today via Twitter, per Hale McGranahan, confirming it that he's going to be at South Carolina. So add another big-time visitor to the list. You know, important recruiting night, folks. Important recruiting night. So if you're thinking of going to the game, go. Um, I think this mask thing, and I hate to mention it again, uh, was a little bit more blown up last week than it should have been. I don't think anybody's going to be enforcing a mask policy. Uh, my suggestion to everyone would be to just keep one in your pocket in case something happens. But the universities in the, in the state of South Carolina, they're not enforcing anything. It's up in the city of Columbia. I don't think they have the resources to go in and enforce it. And unless somebody just like is trying to be a, you know what, and make a statement, I, I can't see it being a big deal. You know, in other words, making a statement like, oh, we're going to go send 30 officers over to Williams Bryce Saturday, which would be completely stupid and a waste of resources uh, for the police department, fire department, fire marshal, whoever. Um, Cause there's other stuff that, that they need to take care of. Uh, you know, so, so if you're, 
I'm not going, if you're in the club, I'm not going because of a mask, which I know many of you are, uh, maybe rethink that, you know, big recruiting night. Uh, I don't think the mask thing is going to be a big deal. Uh, so, so go for it. At the same time, also, uh, please be respectful of people that want to wear a mask in the stadium. Um, it's their choice. Just like it's your choice. If you don't want to wear one, it's their choice that they do. You know, don't, let's not turn this into a, a mask deal <laughs> on Saturday night. But I do, I, you know, after kind of looking at what exactly was going on with that, I do feel like the mask thing, if you're not wanting to wear a mask, is not going to be a big deal at all. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of good recruits there. So South Carolina needs a big crowd, big crowd. Uh, pivotal game, lots of recruits, big crowd needed, big environment, uh, that kind of thing. Shane Beamer uh, was public yesterday mentioning it. Uh, game Kite Nation, we need you to come, blah, 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 blah. And you do. And, like, look, I'm going to say this. If the crowd's disappointing, don't complain when recruits go elsewhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, that that's that's kind of the thing of it. You know, recruits aren't as tied into results as fans are. Not even close, really. I've seen recruits go to games where the team home team gets blown out, but they had a great environment. They had a great time. They feel comfortable there and they commit it up. You know, you got to get an environment. Fans like to attach the wins to recruiting because fans care about wins. You know, everybody cares about wins. Uh, but recruits aren't sitting there going, ah, I'm going to South Carolina. If they win, uh, I'm going to commit. If not, they're off my list. Nobody's saying that. You know, now a bad environment can get you there. It can get you there. Xavier Thomas, um, a lot went on with his recruiting back in the day, but you know, it didn't do uh Muschamp, Lance Thompson, any of those guys any good for Xavier to go to the Western Carolina game <clears throat> where the stadium emptied out at halftime. I guess it was I guess it was cold or whatever, and, and that's fine. Um, and you're sitting there looking at an empty stadium or you know, a lot of empty seats for a lot of home games that year in 2016. And then he goes to Death Valley the next weekend for the South Carolina game. Uh, and obviously that was a great environment. And Clemson had a lot of great environments that year. South Carolina, not so much. You know, that 2016, that Georgia game got moved to Sunday. That was supposed to be a big one. I guess the Tennessee game that year was. Uh, but, you know, you want to recruit at a high level. Um you know, I know a lot of you like just blame coaches and all that. Well, you know, coaches have to get it done for sure. And there's a lot to sell, but you know, the better the environment is in my experience covering recruiting for 15 years, uh, the better the chance you can establish momentum and get some recruits. Maybe you didn't think you were, and I've seen it all over the country, you know, not just in Columbia. So, and, and you have to also look at the environment's, South Carolina's competing against, you know, you got a guy on campus uh, in Jamari Lyons this weekend. Florida's his other school. Florida had a great environment for Alabama, um, you know, and with as big as, as this game is, with it being the SEC home opener, with it being the SEC home opener for Beamer, with it being Kentucky, a team the Gamecocks need to start beating again, uh, you know, and there's really no excuse for not having a great environment. I'm, I'm not sitting here – saying I'm going to be disappointed if there's not a sellout because you kind of see it around the country. There's not a lot of teams selling out right now, except for specific circumstances like huge, 
huge games, uh, that kind of thing. And this is a huge game, but, you know, it's not Alabama or Clemson or Georgia coming in. Let, let's be honest with that. Um, but I do – I think it needs to be a great environment. If it's not, don't complain when they don't get recruits. I mean, that, that's just the bottom line uh, with all that. And uh, understand, too, that while – the people here on this podcast probably it's like win lose and that's kind of how the night goes. Understand recruits aren't looking at just one game, uh, win or lose, uh, or anything like that. They're not fans, you know. They're they're making decisions now. Win, winning and losing and momentum of your program and things like that do matter. Obviously, they do matter, um, but one game does not. One game does not. Uh, even Xavier Thomas, uh, that one game against South Carolina that Clemson had, that, that did not swing anything. You know, it was the comparison of the two. You know, recruits are always making comparisons. So you always want to put your best foot forward. Um, so anyway, hopefully there'll be a great crowd at Williams Bryce uh, Saturday night. And now we can get to the mailbag. Certainly the mailbag, uh, which is. Presented by iHelp Consulting, the iHelp Consulting mailbag. Now, I've told you guys how Daniel Owens with iHelp Consulting can help save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom without sacrificing quality. But you may be wondering, scratching your head even, how does it work? Well, it's very simple. Call or text Daniel 843-372-5713 and set up a quick phone call or face-to-face meeting. Daniel will examine where there may be savings and let you know if you're paying junk fees or if your rates are too high. You may be wondering how iHelp gets paid or, you know, hey, a consultant may charge more than they're worth. You may be thinking iHelp might save you 3000 but they may charge you four. Well, that's not how iHelp does business. You only pay a percentage of your first year savings. Not only that, if they can't save you money, you do not owe iHelp a dime. And right now, Daniel and iHelp are so fired up that Gamecock football is back off to a two-in-one start. They're running a half off promotion. That's right. Half off. So tell Daniel you heard about it right here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast to receive the half off promotion. This is exclusive for podcast listeners. Uh, so call or text Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713 and give him a shot. You won't be sorry. I'm a business owner myself with the Bigspur.com and my other enterprises. Uh, obviously, if you can save on expenses uh, and have it risk-free, then that's um, that's awesome. It's awesome. Uh, so anyway, there's two ways to get in on the I Help Consulting mailbag. Uh, first way is to tweet at us at the Big Spur Pod. Please follow at the Big Spur Pod on Twitter. That's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast Twitter account, and also follow Inside the Gamecocks on Instagram. Uh, got some Instagram stuff up, uh, content things like that uh, on that platform as well. Uh, and then the second way is inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, getting into the actual email inbox. I'm going to start with the inbox today and then roll over to Twitter. So how about that? Uh, Gamecock forever emails in. He says, thank you. Not a question, but a comment. Okay. Your podcast has made it to the top of my list of most listened to post game. And I appreciate all you do. You're an excellent blend of objectivity and professionalism. It's painful to listen and see knee-jerk reactions on social media or on podcasts. I'll admit, as a fan, I have some of those same reactions when they happen, 
But I keep those irrational thoughts at bay. Like most things, after the emotions cool off and the brain kicks in, you have a more rational analysis. The few vocal minority that want to fire coaches need to take a seat and allow them to figure things out. I agree here. I, I think there's a difference between, you know, being concerned about obvious concerns. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say everything coaching wise is great on offense. Cause it's just not. And Shane Beamer said, it. it's not uh, when you don't, when your players don't know what to do, that's coaching. I mean, that's, that, that's what a, the, the purpose of a coach is to take players to places that they never thought they could go themselves. That's why you have a coach. And, you know, right now they're not taking them. I mean, they're, they're making mistakes, right? And so that has to change, especially with the blocking schemes and things like that. Uh, however, I don't think you fire anybody after three games. Uh, I think we do live in a world where you have knee-jerk reactions. I think there are some miserable people out there that never wanted to give the Beamer hire a chance. Uh, much less, though, than, than the people that were anti-Muschamp from the start that would have never that never were going to be happy with him simply because he lost at Florida. Uh, I think Shane enjoys a, a, a much larger, uh, you know, area of support, uh, and that's great. Uh, but you know, there, there are some people that didn't, you know, stupidly thought that hey, you know. Uh, he's never been an offensive or defensive coordinator. So that that's going to cost him. No, that's, it's not, uh, you know, that, that has nothing to do with it. He can go two and 10 this year, start Oh, and nine next year and get fired. And really that two and 19 record will have nothing to do with the fact that he's never been an offensive or defensive coordinator. A head coach is a different job. Uh, and you look around the country and you can see that, you know, even Josh Pate made a mention after Sam Pittman beat, uh, Texas up at Arkansas, he said, you know, you could look around the country and, and there's X's and O's type guys like Steve Sarkeesian, basically, who coaches at Texas, uh, who who has not been a good head coach, but Texas hires him because of, you know, the pinball machine numbers he put up at Alabama as the OC, and they're struggling. But then you look at uh, the culture and appreciation and passion that Sam Pittman's put into it. He's hired, he's hired well. Um, and you look at Arkansas and they're in good shape and nobody expected that. They're like Sam Pittman. Well, well, the pit boss is doing something good. So, but, but there are people that are still in that box, you know, and it's like, Oh, he's never been a coordinator. And you know, they're, they're going to sit there and lash out. We've have, we have one emailer, James, who's like that. You know, it's uh, risky, uh, you know, and that's fine. And I get it. Um, but those people aren't really mainstream. And, and you know, you, you deal with them because I like all kinds of opinions. But, uh, you know, they're wrong. Um, even if they end up believing that they are right about it not being, you know, if they felt like it was a risky hire and, you know, it doesn't work out, that has nothing to do with – the opinion they formed based on uh, things that don't matter. You see what I'm saying? Uh, the opinion you form about a coach is how he does at your school through time. You know, how are things trending? How is recruiting going? Are they losing games they shouldn't? Uh, what's happening on the field? It's a bottom line business. So wins and losses are paramount when you're talking about firing coaches. Uh, but you got to look at the big picture, how, how you know, and and that's really if Shane Beamer's judged and really Will Muschamp too, 
Well, Muschamp was not fired at South Carolina because he lost at Florida. Well, Muschamp was fired because he lost, you know, eight, 19 of 27 football games, which is historically bad, which hadn't happened at this program uh, since the uh, late 90s. I don't know if he got 19 of 27. There's three on Bobo there. But anyway, uh, two and five, four and eight, you know, six and 13. Yeah, okay, so maybe – maybe six and 16, something like that, 16 of 22. That's bad. That's not the minimal standard at South Carolina at all. It's not even close. So, yeah, he was going to get fired. You know you know what? First three years, he wasn't going to get fired, no matter how many people say, oh, it's not going to work because of what Florida, you know. But, uh, you know, and, and, and there's everybody who was skeptical about that hire certainly was welcome to be skeptical. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, if a, if your school makes a hire you don't like, that you got to just sit there and take it and, you know, oh, sunshine and rainbows. You know, you're entitled to that opinion from the start. Obviously, you know, a lot of people called it a lazy hire. I thought the Muschamp hire was risky. I thought it was a little out of the box, to be honest, because you had to kind of believe he was going to upgrade his offense. That didn't really happen. And you had to kind of believe he was going to have a great defense which is easy to believe at the time, but then that didn't really happen. Uh, I thought he recruited well, you know, for South Carolina. But, uh, you know, that's that. Uh, same with Shane Beamer. I mean, if you don't like the hire, you, you know, you're entitled to that. But, you know, you're not Nostradamus. You know, you're not going to see – you're not – you know, you're not vindicated if it doesn't work out, you know, because your, your analysis is, is irrational of the situation, you know, so you know, never been a coordinator. Well, that, that really has nothing to do with it. The few vocal minority that want to fire coaches need to take a seat and allow them to figure things out. Okay. Gamecock forever continues on the end of the season will be the appropriate time to evaluate. Yeah. Every head coach evaluates his program at the end of the season. I don't expect miracles, but I do want to see improvement. Whatever happens it's crazy to want to get rid of coaches after one year. There are very few programs that can be successful by constant staff turnover. Thanks again for all you do. I, I'm going to agree with you there about the constant staff turnover. I am going to say, though, this. There is a caveat in terms of coordinators. If it's not working, you need to move on. Because you, you don't want to keep giving guy Like, okay, so Kurt Rope, right? One thing Will Muschamp did do was he got rid of Kurt Roper at the exact right time. Now, the irrational crew was upset because of the the guy in the yellow hat running to the sidelines, Jake Bentley did, against Clemson that year. And that was just – it was an awful game. I don't don't know – I don't know if Clemson – you know, Clemson – had they been missing 10 starters, had that game turned out any different. Uh, But it was a frustrating game plan to watch because – you know, and that, that that was sort of a red flag. But then you look at some of the other games with a lot of freshmen on the field and things of that nature, uh, Missouri, Tennessee, Western, you know, and, and, and he, you know, Kurt Roper was kind of calling it and hauling it with a freshman quarterback. And you're like, well, you know, uh, he, he was only at Florida for one year. They did get fired, but they did improve. He had Treon Harris at quarterback half the time, a defensive back, basically. He's had true freshmen – and then Brandon McElwain and Orth this year. 
maybe there's a red flag there because, you know, you go back Florida and Clemson in 2016, I thought they geared Jake down, which I thought their only shot at winning those games because of the dominance both teams would have up front would be to be more aggressive, you know, with don't gear him down, you know, have a game plan similar to Tennessee, but they did. They were almost trying to be too, too, too conservative. And then you got the next year, 2017. It was just completely inexcusable. Given the talent on that offensive team, look at all the guys that are in the NFL. Uh, you score 17 against Louisiana Tech. You go into a shell at Texas A&M. That cost you a win there. You know, could not compete against Clemson for the second straight year on offense. Kept running it up the middle, down 20. Uh, Kurt needed to go, bottom line. Um Brian McClendon, after 2019, hey, that needed to change. And um, so when it's time to change, you know, I think we've all seen around here when you don't make a change and it's needed at a coordinator spot, you know, it it tends to blow up in your face as a head coach. I'll go back to Spurrier. Uh, There is no way Lorenzo Ward should have come back as the D coordinator after 2014, after costing – after his unit – cost him a division title, and he told Spurrier they were going to be better than the year before, which, you know, a lot of people you know, believed because Carolina got a lot of off-season hype that year. But there, there's no way any of that defensive staff should have been back. You know, it, you just gut it and start over if you want to come back. Otherwise, Spurrier probably should just walk to the sunset. So that didn't work out, you know. Um I think his other coordinator issues, uh, when you look at it, uh, and, and I'm not talking about offense because that's a you could do a whole podcast on play calling in the Spurrier era. But you know, uh, at the end of 07, it was time for Nick's to go. He ended up getting the old Miss DC job and he went. That replaced him with Van Gorder and then ultimately Ellis Johnson. So, you know, Ellis Johnson got a head coaching job. So, you know, there he goes, and then uh you got whammy to replace him. And I think 2014, I mean, there were, there were some red flags in 2013 without question. In 2014, it's probably time for him to go. But you see, that didn't happen. And then 2015 was what it was. Uh, you can go all the way at the Brad Scott era uh, as far as Wally Burnham and that defense. <laughs> Burnham lasted all five years. You guys tell me what was the problem at South Carolina during that time? It was defense. So I will say that if it's clear that, you know, there are fundamental coaching issues that are costing you um, and you're not maximizing your team because of coaching and whether that's game day operations, play calling, whatever. And like I said, I don't know about the play calling right now. And, you know, as far as, is it? Un- I saw somebody say it's unimaginative. Well, it, it, it looks like a dumpster fire because nobody the, the protection's not right, you know, and guys are just running free uh, at the quarterback and, and in the run game. And that happened, uh, unfortunately, it happened against East Carolina and Georgia. If, if it weren't for East if Carolina had gone up there and, you know, ran all over ECU the whole game and rolled up a bunch of rushing yards, you just kind of chalk up Georgia. Well, that's Georgia. Who cares? You know, but these same issues going week to week, now you're getting in the SEC, you know, it's got it has to change. So I guess my point, Gamecock Forever, is this. 
you know, it is dumb to sit there and talk about firing coaches after one year, but there are some situations when it comes to coordinators where, you know, it's clearly not going to work. And, you know, that, that's, that's got to be how Shane Beamer judges it uh, moving forward, you know, or, or any head coach. And I gave you some examples there. Thank you so much for the kind words, my man. Dom says, hey, JC, just wanted to say I admire how you sit here and deal with some of these miserable fans that write in. They're so negative and freak out over every little thing. People have to relax. Uh, and yes, this team needs to play better in certain aspects of the game, but there have been some positives. There is new, there are some positives. It's three games in a row with a new coaching staff. How can these people write in some of this stuff? This is too big of a job for Beamer. Ah, you're talking about my boy James. Will Beamer have the guts to fire Satterfield? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's too big of a job for Shane at all. Um. And I, I just I just addressed that. It's kind of interesting that you emailed that in. I hadn't read your email before that. Uh, that yeah, now hey, any any head coach, if something's not working at the coordinator spot or a position coach or whatever, yeah, you need to shake it up. Um, it's the bottom line. Uh, and then he's like, "Are these people insane?" It's been three games. Some of that, yeah. Some of the some of the talk has been. A little insane. <laughs> My question for you is, do all these negative whiny fans end up hurting recruiting and the overall wellness of the program? You can't listen to this podcast or look at comments on social media without seeing or hearing fans freak out and say ridiculous statements about players and coaches who would want to play in this environment. Uh, I'll say this, Dom. The, uh, the Gamecocks are not alone with the toxicity on social media by any stretch. Uh, I've seen some opposing fan bases just tee off on recruits and say racist stuff to them and all this other stuff when they don't get a player, you know, and I haven't seen anything like that out of South Carolina. I've seen some extreme negativity and some toxic uh, shots at some current players. And and that's what will get you in trouble more than anything. If you're sitting there running down a player and a recruit has a good relationship with him and you don't really know the guy, and you're just blasted him. Uh, number one, you're a moron for you know picking on a kid that way. And some people are like, well, these aren't kids, these are college. Yeah, well, they're college kids still. Um, and I don't care how much money they make on NIL, not all of them are. They're and they're 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 amateur athletes. I'm not saying you should never criticize the play of a player. You should never, I'm not saying you should shy away by saying yeah, he's struggling, he probably needs to sit. But you know, like. Jake Bentley, Colin Hill. And it's funny with quarterbacks, Luke Doty in the spring, very, very borderline abusive treatment from fans. And I've seen it with quarterbacks, and now I start to see it creep in uh, to other pieces. I don't know. You guys tell me. Is it you think it's because of the, you know, I know on our message board, our audience has skewed younger the last few years. Is it because younger people don't, you know, they don't face any consequences because of social media? You know, they don't, they don't risk getting punched in the face. Because literally, you know, I don't think anybody that said the things they said to Jake Bentley on his Instagram after the Kentucky game, I don't think any of those punks would have any kind of like desire to say that to Jake's face, Bobby's face, anybody's face personally. Okay, so so is a lack of consequence. Is that why it's toxic? Is it just the world we live in? I don't know. I don't know. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't be critical of the play. 
guy goes out there, throws five interceptions. Yeah, maybe they should look somebody else to play quarterback. You know, I thought in the middle of the East Carolina game, maybe they'd look at Jason Brown instead of Nolan because Zeb was just struggling that much. It's nothing against Zeb. I'd never get on his social media and, and, and say that he and his family should leave town, that he sucks. You know, so I, I don't know. I don't know. And that kind of stuff is what hurts recruiting, the, the toxicity. And there's a line you could cross. Just, you know, oh, this guy didn't have a good game. You know, I don't know why he's playing. You know, maybe the coaches could consider somebody else. That kind of thing I don't think is is that bad. Um, another thing I think, though, or, or you know, the, the you mentioned social media. And, and I had to leave a Facebook group because of – in particular, one idiot, but a lot of other idiots that just don't – they don't understand anything. I mean, they, they, they don't care enough to maybe, oh, I don't know, get a subscription to a website to where you kind of know what's going on. These people don't know what's going on. You know, they're not educated on, like, what's going on. They don't listen to podcasts. They, they don't know. They're just out there using their real name, embarrassing themselves. Um that's tough. But the good news about those Facebook groups is they're private. Sometimes there's players and recruits families that get in there, but you know, they kind of tone it down for that and all that. But you, you want to see the real, you know, group that, uh, you know, it's not on a message board, you know, it, it's on Facebook and then on Twitter, you know, I, anybody can create a fake account, fans of other schools, that kind of thing. And, you know, post nonsense on Twitter. We've, we've seen, you know, and I think Twitter is more nonsense and Facebook is more just lack of knowledge uh, with some people commenting. Um, but yeah, it gets toxic and, you know, I can't say it doesn't hurt recruiting, but I, I do think, you know, as far as the over the top criticism of Beamer and the staff first three games, uh, it's been a little bit more mild, you know, uh, than, than anything that would hurt recruiting. I, I think not having a good home field environment Saturday night would do more to hurt recruiting than, you know, some of the criticism so far. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 you know, and look, I read everything. I read all the, uh, all the emails positive or negative. Cause I don't want, you know, I, I'm not, like I said, it's not a sunshine rainbow confetti confetti blowing uh, podcast. You know, we, we address everything here. Dom, I certainly appreciate your email, though, and I agree with it for the most part. Noah, my man. Noah is a frequent emailer. Quick question. Could you update EJ Jenkins? It sounded during the preseason he'd be a big part of the offense. I haven't heard or seen about him during any of the games. Thanks, Noah. A couple of targets against Eastern Illinois. Work, he, he's working it. This is the best way I can put it. It's a personal situation that I'm not getting into. You know, uh, and I've told everybody that big spur wherever else, but it caused him to miss practice time. He got behind, you know, in terms of physically and, and things like that, too. Uh, he did get in late against Georgia, I saw. Um, I hope they start working it back in, you know, but it, it's kind of, you know, a situation where he's got to get there before they can do it. Um, but, I, you know, shoot, with Luke Doty back, better quarterback play, uh, that kind of thing. I would, I would imagine that, you know, he's somebody they could use, especially coming back home, um, you know, and you just got to wish Jenkins the best. And, and, you know, it was absolutely correct 
that he was scheduled to be a big part of the offense this year. They they love him. They, they think he's a freak. He just had a setback in preseason, and he hadn't quite made it back yet. You know, so that's the deal there. Thank you, Noah. Appreciate that. Isaiah says, hey, JC, hope you're doing well. Do you see Kevin Harris getting a lot of carries this week against Kentucky? I'd say he gets at least 20 carries. We can establish the run. Second question, where's Jakeem Green? I'm sure he's still on the team, but I thought he'd have a bigger impact earlier than later. Well, Jakeem got passed by Boogie Huntley and Tonka Hemingway. When they moved Tonka inside, I kind of started thinking, well, you know, because you still got MJ Webb there. He's been ahead. Jakeem's good. I don't know if he's playing on, like, goal line or not. Of course, Georgia, I mentioned at the top, 23-yard run, 43-yard run or pass, 38-yard pass. They big played him to death. East Carolina never really got in a goal line situation either, if I'm not – uh, but, you know, I, 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 don't, so I don't know where exactly he's fitting. I know that he wasn't out there. He wasn't dressed for the first one, you know, so I don't know what the deal is. Uh, he's a guy that surprised me in terms of not making an impact. Like when he signed with Carolina to begin with or committed to Carolina to begin with, uh, and then he went to Nebraska, I, I thought he'd be big time at Nebraska, but he didn't play a whole lot. Uh, and they signed him back at Carolina for depth purposes as an in-state guy. So, you know, I, and I don't know. Rick Sandage gets back. I, you know, Jakeem may not see the field a whole lot this year except uh, blowout situations. As far as Kevin Harris goes, as long as he, he's productive. Uh, if not, I mean, and, and I'll tell you how it looks to me. You know, putting aside last year, because, again, that was last year. Uh, I, I'm not going to diminish what Kevin Harris accomplished last year. I thought it was great. It was a bright spot for the entire program, that kind of thing. Looking at he versus maybe a Marshawn Lloyd this year, even a Juju McDowell, but Juju is kind of a special situation late in the game. So I'm just going to go Lloyd versus Harris. To me, Lloyd's closer to making big plays right now than Harris. Now, on some of these plays where they – Maybe blocked better for Lloyd. I, yeah, you know, I don't know. Lloyd looks a little more elusive. Uh, he's got a hold of the ball, that kind of thing. So, you know, my answer to you would be I don't care who gets a lot of carries this week against Kentucky. They have to find a way to run the ball. Uh, and if that hurts Kevin Harris's feelings, uh, be more productive. You know, uh, you know, they, they have to find a way to open holes uh, and get out there and do it. So if, if Kevin Harris is being productive, he's going to get the carries. Um, and I hope I hope he does because I, I think he's a hell of a back. I also think Marshawn Lloyd's very close uh, to breaking one and, and just kind of showing everybody the thing. I mean, those those two combined are averaging three yards a carry. That's shocking to me. It's really inexcusable. Uh, and I understand against Georgia, Georgia's rush defense. I don't understand East Carolina. You know, um, so you know they they got to get it right this weekend as far as the run game goes. And that, that's been a key. But, uh, hey, yeah, if he gets 20-plus carries, uh, he had 16 against Georgia, didn't go very far. Uh, you know, it, hopefully that means he's, you know, killing it out there. But uh, if you wanted my opinion, just watching him and basing it on this year, not last year, this year, uh, I'd probably ride Lloyd a little bit more just because I think he's closer and he's more elusive uh, that kind of thing right now. You know, Kevin may still be shaking the rust off because he missed the entire offseason. So, 
we'll see kind of what happens there. And that stinks, Isaiah, when your superstar guy that's coming back uh, hasn't done much through three games. You know, he didn't play the first, you know, and then the the 54 yards on 23 carries in the next two is not very Kevin Harris-esque <laughs> uh, when you compare it to last season. So, you know, we'll see sort of what happens uh, moving forward. But, yeah, you know, I'd love I'd love it if he got 20 carries and went over 100 yards. Um, he went for two against these guys last year. So, uh, I think that would be great. All right. That concludes the I Help Consulting Mailbag. Again, tweet to at the Big Spur Pod or email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. We have uh, the prediction segment coming up tomorrow, which is brought to you by Cindy Searfoss, realtor for Caldwell Banker Kane, 864 414 5271. If you're in the upstate, she's right there, Daniel Morgan Avenue, my hometown of Spartanburg. Shout out. To the Berg. May the Berg live in your heart forever. Um, Cindy can help you. All your real estate needs. I know people buying, selling, housing markets weird. Uh, rock and roll with Cindy. 864-414-5271. That's 864-414-5271. Cindy Sirfoss, and she is the sponsor of Prediction Thursday, and it will be Thursday uh, this year. Gamecocks and Kentucky. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you right right up front before we get to the prediction segment tomorrow, I'm probably picking the Gamecocks out of hope and faith. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to tell you why they may not win. I hate predictions because football is scenarios. It's a scenario one, Rodriguez gets loose, runs all over the Gamecock defense. They big play him in the passing game. Kentucky wins going away. You know, scenario two, they bottle somebody up. Scenario three, it's a back and forth ball. I mean, you know, there, there's all these scenarios. So, but I, I'll tell you, I'm probably picking the Gamecocks. I, you know, I picked 28 to 10 Georgia last week, and that's kind of how that game could have ended up. You know, uh, the flurry of points in the first half, first of first part of the second half, uh, let Georgia get up a little more. You know, at about 40 or so, the Gamecocks got 13. But um, you know, so we'll we'll see sort of what happens. Uh, I picked 24-16 for East Carolina and 42-10 to 10 for Eastern Illinois. So I've been all right this year. I've, I've been pretty close with uh, most of my score predictions. So maybe maybe that'll hold. Maybe it won't. <laughs> all right, J.C. Sherbert signing off for today. Hope you folks have a wonderful, wonderful Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow, prediction Thursday, that I'm off to Columbia. Uh, and thanks for listening. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast.